Good morning and welcome to the Court of Appeals. Uh, your panel this morning is uh, John Tyson, myself. To my right is Judge Hunter Murphy. To my left is Judge Michael Stodding. We have three cases on the docket for today and we're going to take those in order in which they appear on the calendar. I'd like to also introduce our court staff, our clerk, Robert McFarland, and our court marshal, Richard Ramilliard. Our counsel's present for State versus Cochran, is that correct? Anything preliminary to come before the court? Okay, all right, then we'll hear from the appellant. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. May it please the court. I am Karen Strickland and I represent Patrick Cochran. I would like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal, please. Okay. Thank you. This case involves a straightforward violation of Miranda and involuntary confession, requiring reversal of the trial court's denial of the motion to suppress. At around 6.40 p.m. on January 2nd, 2019, Officer Jerry Soles pulled over Mr. Cochran for a traffic stop in a gas station parking lot. Officer Soles parked directly behind Mr. Cochran and turned on his blue lights, leaving Mr. Cochran completely blocked in. From this moment on, Mr. Cochran was in custody because he was physically not free to leave. Is there any challenge to the actual stop the officer made? Um, Your Honor, that's actually somewhat of a nuanced question because upon reviewing... That's, what, that's why I ask it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So our position is that from the moment Mr. Cochran was pulled over, this was not a traffic stop. This was akin to a custodial detention because the act of physically blocking in Mr. Cochran so that he was not free to leave and turning on the blue lights made it very clear that this was, this was not a Terry stop, a brief detention for the purpose of compelling or dispelling reasonable suspicion of, of a crime. It was a custodial investigative detention. And of course, the circumstances from then on also confirmed that it was a custodial detention. If that's the case, then do we need to be worrying about Rodriguez analysis at all? Likely not, um, to be frank with you. I think there is a Rodriguez problem here. I also think that you, there are frankly several different ways in which you could rule in our favor in, in this case. The first one is based on the Miranda and then involuntary confession. There is an alternative basis though, which is that I think the custodial stop um, from, was not supported by probable cause uh, from the moment the custodial interrogation began. Our position is that it is likely more straightforward to rule on the basis of the incriminating statements and the evidence obtained as the result of the involuntary confession, but we definitely believe there is also a problem with the probable cause uh, supporting the initial stop and custodial interrogation. And the reason for that is that, yes, there was a confidential informant here, of course, that confidential informant remained anonymous and did not testify at trial or anything like that. But if you look at the circumstances, it's incredibly vague. We don't have any sort of details about when these drug transactions supposedly occurred. We don't have any details about dates, times, people involved. I think normally in a case like this, you would expect there to be some sort of details like on such and such a date, at such and such time, the confidential informant purchased such and such amount of drugs. We don't have anything like that here. It is all just incredibly vague, and I think that it's very telling that the officers did not obtain a search warrant here for my client's residence. It's, it seems that if the officers had ample probable cause to be able to support the notion that my client was involved in a crime, you would think that they would get a search warrant for his residence. What instead, what it seems happened here is that they decided to effectively arrest my client, but 
say that he was not under arrest, but clearly it was an arrest by the way that they blocked him in. Truly, I believe that during the entire traffic stop, he was in custody. Um, they admitted, I mean, these officers repeatedly testified during the suppression hearing that this was not a real traffic stop. This was for the purpose of a drug investigation. And while that may help from a Rodriguez perspective in terms of establishing reasonable suspicion to extend the stop, the problem is that it was never really a true traffic stop to begin with. It was a custodial arrest from the moment they blocked him in. And well, I think let us, let's, yeah. let's, let me ask you this about, did trial counsel below raise that argument below before the trial court? I think that trial counsel was mainly focused on the Rodriguez aspect of it, but I think there was also discussion of the confidential informants and whether this rose to the level of a probable cause. So in terms of our standard of review, um, are we not limited to the issue that was raised before the trial court? Well, I think there are a couple of different answers to that question. The first one is when you think about preservation of a motion to suppress, the real issue, and this is what the state repeatedly emphasized in its brief, is the opportunity to be able to develop a factual record right. regarding the issues before the court. I think there's no question that that record was developed here, whether it's in the context of a Rodriguez issue or a custodial interrogation without Miranda warnings. All of the facts that are necessary to decide the issues here are developed in the record. But alternatively, we would contend that to the extent any particular issue is not fully reserved, this court could exercise its discretion either under a plain error standard because all of the facts are in evidence, or it could exercise discretion under Rule 2 and review the issues because any legal issue would be necessarily intertwined with the issues that were already raised and preserved in the trial court. Ms. Strickland, did you ever watch the television show Columbo? No. <laughs> well, uh, Detective Columbo was outwardly a bumbling detective that seemed to come across as not very smart. And he would ask questions of a suspect and was on the way out the door and it was over and the man was safe or the suspect thought he was safe and Columbo would turn around and say, oh, by the way, I have one more question. And of course, the, the suspect would incriminate themselves with the response there. Isn't that what happened here? Isn't this, oh, by the way, can I search? Oh, by the way, you're free to go, here's your license. Your Honor, I would strongly disagree with that because everything you're describing, and I have to admit I'm not, I'm not familiar with the show, I'm familiar with kind of that trope in general, but everything here was tinged with coercion from the moment that the stop began and then two minutes after the stop, so let me back up for a second. You have Officer Souls come in and he blocks in the defendant with his police car. Then two minutes after the stop begins, you have a collective, quote unquote, of narcotics agents come into the parking lot of the gas station. We don't know exactly how many from the record, but a collective presumably implies there were quite a few. Uh, they're surrounding him during this supposed traffic stop, which they admit is not a traffic stop because it's a ruse for the purpose of a drug investigation. And then as soon as the traffic stop is open, or excuse me, over, they hand him off to the collective of narcotics agents, they put him, they, they do search him, but they don't find anything. Uh, they then are angry that they don't find anything, so they put him in handcuffs and they make comments like, you guys are playing games, we can do this all day, and we're going to find drugs before we leave here. And I think anybody, any reasonable person in Mr. Cochran's shoes would believe I can't leave this scene until I incriminate myself. I can't leave this scene until I tell them where there are drugs. And that just seems like a classic situation of not only do you have a Miranda violation because there were no warnings given at any point, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. The burden was on the state to prove that. And the two main officers who participated in the interrogation of my client 
testified on the stand that they did that they they did not personally administer Miranda warnings and they were not aware of any Miranda warnings given that night. So the Miranda issue is very straightforward. Then you have the second issue about the voluntariness of the confession. And I think that that standard of involuntariness is also met as well because of their statements that we can do this all day and we're not going to, I'm sorry, we're going to find drugs before we leave here. That's before you even get to the issues about the strip search. Um, but I think even regardless of whether you consider the strip search to be part of the evidentiary, I'm sorry, the threatened strip search, I should say, to be part of the record here, the other comments that making so clear, we are going to hold you until you incriminate yourself, are sufficient to find an involuntary confession that results in suppression of not only the statements, the incriminating statements that were made, but all evidence that was obtained as a result of the search of the residence. Talk to me just a little bit more about the physical evidence found and the difference in the standard that we need to be considering um, for coercion when it comes to the physical evidence versus just his statement. The, what the standard is? Yes, talk, talk to me for just a minute about that and, and kind of what you see as the difference in when a statement shouldn't be allowed and when physical evidence shouldn't be allowed. Because I, I think our, our case law tries to say there's a line there, but at least the most recent 20 years of cases or so, that line isn't completely, in my opinion, laid out all that clearly in the case law. So, so talk to me a little bit about that line. Yes, Your Honor, I, I understand. So with a Miranda problem, the inquiry is whether the suspect is subjected to custodial interrogation or not. And that has two parts. The first part is whether the suspect is in custody, and the second part is whether there is interrogation. In custody being whether or not defendants free to leave, right? Yes, exactly. So the, um, the inquiry about whether custody is present is whether there is the functional equivalent of an arrest. And I think that's where the state in the motion to suppress hearing below and the, the argument pertaining to this is at pages 94 to 96 of the transcript and the state responds on page 100, which I think sort of obviates the argument that this was not preserved or that the state didn't have notice, but the state seemed to believe that if somebody was not literally put in the back of a patrol car and taken to the police station and put under arrest in the sense of an arrest warrant being issued, that they were not in custody. And that is not the standard. The standard is whether it is a functional equivalent to an arrest such that a reasonable person would understand that they were not free to leave. So I think clearly we have that here from all the circumstances already described, but in terms of the second part of, well actually, I'm sorry, interrogation, I didn't talk about that yet. I don't think there's any dispute that there is interrogation here because interrogation is either questioning or statements that are designed to elicit incriminating admissions. And we clearly have that here because officers, Officer Pierce, is telling my client, encouraging him to cooperate, help himself out. These are statements that are clearly designed to elicit incriminating admissions, and I don't believe there's any dispute of that in the record. So that's the Miranda inquiry in a nutshell. The voluntariness inquiry um, is a little bit different because you can have a suspect who is in custody and you can have a Miranda violation but it is not considered involuntary in and of itself. So you have to have other circumstances that are designed to overcome the suspect's free will, such as threats or promises or other circumstances of coercion. And I think we clearly have that here because we essentially have a, a threat of saying, you cannot leave here until you incriminate yourself. We can do this all day. We're going to find drugs before we leave here. Those are statements that are very specifically 
designed to make a reasonable suspect feel that they will be held until they incriminate themselves. Let's back up a little bit and try to give a foundation. At what point <clears throat> on a traffic stop will an officer be obligated to give Miranda warnings? During a traffic stop? I think, well, the answer to that is the same, I believe, as in any other context, which is whether there's custody. Okay. So if you have... Um, a normal Terry stop, which I do not believe we have at all in this case. I, well, I understand that, but let's presume yes. that it is. Let's presume it's just a normal traffic stop. Right. Well, I think that State v. Washington, uh, out of this court, there was a dissenting opinion that was adopted by the um, Supreme Court, really illustrates the answer to that question because that was a case involving a traffic stop the suspect was put into the police vehicle to sit and and normally that's that would not necessarily elevate a, a, um, a detention to being a custodial detention but the difference was that the, the door handles on the insides of the car did not work so the suspect was quite literally not free to leave and i believe the language used was that he was effectively incarcerated on the side of the road so I think there is a very clear difference between a traffic stop that is an ordinary Terry stop, a, a brief detention for the purpose of confirming or dispelling suspicions or addressing a traffic violation, things like that, versus a suspect who is physically not able to leave the encounter. Okay, and at what point in the facts of this case do you contend that Miranda warnings should have been given? Well, I mean, I, I think you could look at that question in two different parts. I think that, as I said before, the custodial, the, the custodial detention, I believe, began the minute that Mr. Cochran was pulled over because of the manner that it was effectuated. It was not at all like a normal traffic stop. So the first thing the officer should have done when they walked up to his door is start giving Miranda warnings before, this is why I stopped you, do you have your license registration, the typical, are you saying that at that point the officer was obligated to give Miranda warnings the uh, minute they first walked up? I'm sorry, Your Honor. Um, not necessarily, Your Honor, because I, I don't know that interrogation would have necessarily been present at that point because all the officer was doing was conducting it, you know, dealing with a traffic violation. So I, I think that because the detention for the purpose of the drug investigation had not begun yet, um, I think that's not necessarily required. I do think that when he was, quote unquote, handed off to the collective of narcotics agents and it transitioned to a drug investigation, Miranda warnings were definitely required at that point. So if we presume that the traffic stop was legitimate, you're saying that the point that he was given his license and given the warning ticket, uh, was he not free to leave at that point? No, he was not free to leave. He was not free to leave because he, and I understand there is somewhat of an ambiguity in the record about whether he was told he was free to leave or not. I think that is irrelevant because at the end of the day, he was literally not free to leave because the car was parked directly behind him. Let's presume that he was given a license and given the warning ticket and the, and the traffic officer was through at that point. If he was free to leave and then he started making voluntary statements, at what point, I mean, are, you, are we going to hold the police accountable for him making voluntary statements to them? No, Your Honor, not at all. I, I think if this were a case where, and I, I, this does typically happen in many traffic stop scenarios where you have a stop that is supported by reasonable suspicion. Right. Um, you have questions that are asked that uh, uh, you know receive voluntary responses, and there is no evidence of custody or coercion or any of these factors. We would readily concede that that is is not a problem under the Fourth or Fifth Amendments. I think that the facts 
of this case are just particularly egregious and represent a departure from that type of traffic stop that questioning scenario that you would normally see. Um, so, and, and again, I, it's not, it's a pattern of conduct. It's not just one thing. It's the fact that from the, you know, as I've repeatedly emphasized, the moment that he parked there, he was blocked in. So it wasn't like a normal traffic stop on the side of the road. It's the fact that there were numerous other agents on the scene. It's the fact that after they searched him and found nothing, they handcuffed him and made these comments like, basically, you can't go anywhere until you tell us where the drugs are. And I think when you look at all of those circumstances together, the inquiry is the totality of the circumstances, as well as what a person in the shoes of a reasonable person in the shoes of the suspect would believe. So importantly, it's not from the perspective of the officers and whether they believe that he was under arrest or not. The inquiry is from the perspective of a reasonable person in Mr. Cochran's shoes looking at the situation. Uh, so I think that this is just, I mean, I, I would say this is a highly unusual case, I think, in, in terms of the level of coercion and just the, the kind of, I would say, blatant violation of Miranda guarantees. Um, let, let me ask you a question real quick, just kind of on, on the order itself and how we are supposed to, to work with the order. The, the trial court didn't make any findings regarding being in handcuffs or timing of handcuffs. Um, so where would we even build that in to the timeline in reviewing this order? Or is that something that needs to be remanded for further findings to give us a, a better timeline in which we, we could resolve the case or resolve yeah. it as a matter of law? Yes, Your Honor. So I think, I, I think that, that you, the court, has broad discretion on how you would like to address this issue. I think that the, um, the trial court did not specifically make findings about the handcuffs, but I do think that there are cases such as uh, in Lee from this case cited in our brief where the court, because the record was clear, the court was able to make findings or conclusions of law, regardless of whether the trial court itself made those findings. And I think the facts of that case were very similar to ours in the sense that the court didn't reach issues about custody because the court concluded that the statements were voluntary. And so the court could do that. Um, I think the timeline is a little unclear because at one point, one of the questions seems to suggest that the handcuffing took place at about 22 minutes and 30 seconds into the stop, uh, or 26 seconds, I think, into the stop. And then at another point, someone else suggested that maybe it was 26 minutes. I, my guess is that that was probably, uh, that was probably a slip up and they probably meant to say 22 minutes and 26 seconds and instead they just said 26 minutes. But either way, from a legal perspective, I don't really think that that discrepancy is relevant because he what both of the officers acknowledged that he was being interrogated while in handcuffs. However, that being said, the court would also have discretion to remand the case for the trial court to make fuller findings based on the record or alternatively to hold a new evidentiary hearing if it felt that it was necessary. But I think that I think that the cases afford the court broad discretion and and how it would like to address that issue. Are you arguing that the Fourth Amendment standard for detention is exactly the same as custodial under the Fifth Amendment? I'm sorry. Can you ask that one Custody more time? Under the Fifth Amendment, are you arguing that that is the exact same as a Fourth Amendment detention? Uh, I think it depends on. Do you mean like a Terry stop or do you mean like an arrest? Let's let's start with arrest. If you're saying this is an arrest, do you are you arguing that's exactly the same as what the Fifth Amendment? I am not sure exactly what difference there would be, like hypothetically that there could be, but I think under the circumstances of this case, yes, I think that they're the same. I think that the same facts would support an arrest under the Fourth Amendment, as well as a, as a finding of custody on, for purposes of the Fifth Amendment. You're saying there's not a difference? 
maybe, I don't, I don't know. Or is it that you're saying that this stop had such a show of force that we made it to a Fifth Amendment standard? The latter, I would say, is what we're saying. I don't know that I want to hypothesize about whether maybe there are circumstances where they could be different, but I think under the circumstances of this case, the traffic stop, I'll put air quotes around that, was so unusual that I think it really rose to the level of a Fifth Amendment problem almost instantaneously. Um, we haven't talked yet about preservation, but just um, a couple of points on that. I mean, I think I said this before, but this was a joint suppression hearing, and it's very clear that the counsel for the two defendants were splitting up questioning, they were splitting up arguments, but my client's suppression motion, um, I mean, it didn't cite the Fifth Amendment, but it clearly said the continued interrogation while in handcuffs was illegal and put the state on notice of an interrogation issue. The Miranda issue was addressed through the questioning at the suppression hearing of the officers on the stand, and there was argument about it in the state's response at page 100 so of the suppression transcript. So I just don't think that there's any argument here that this argument was not preserved or that the state did not have notice of its burden to show that there was no Miranda issue here. And as to harmless error, uh, we think that the error was clearly not harmless because these incriminating statements and this evidence was clearly central to the state's case. So You're into your rebuttal time. Yes, so thank you. We will reserve the remainder of rebuttal time and uh, we'll hear from the state. Good morning. Mr. Davis? Yes, Your Honor. Good morning. Good morning. May it please the court, my name is Hill Davis. I'm with the uh, North Carolina Department of Justice, and I'm here on behalf of the state this morning. Um, I'll start my argument today by highlighting uh, a few of the relevant facts from the state's perspective, and then I'll discuss the two main le legal issues that are raised in this appeal. I think we're aware of the facts. Let me just ask you this. At what point in the state's mind did this did, did this become a custodial um, stop that would require Miranda warnings at all? Yes, Your Honor. The state's position is that this stop never became uh, a custodial interrogation under Miranda requiring Miranda warnings. Let's, let's investigate that. So would, would putting a person in handcuffs, would that be in custody? No, Your Honor. There's case law cited in the state's brief that being handcuffed is not sufficient to put somebody into custody. She stated State versus Washington, which say if you put someone in a, a police car in the back seat and you can't open the doors, that is custodial, correct? That, that is correct, Your Honor, but that's a case where, again, they're, they're handcuffed and they're in the back seat of the police car. The door is locked. They can't, they, there's no way for them to leave the car. Uh, so is the state's argument that this never became a custodial stop that would require Miranda? Yes, Your Honor. At any point? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, so let's parse that back a little bit. When you went from the point of a traffic stop where a warning ticket was given. Yes. And let's presume for the sake of argument the defendant was free to leave from that point on. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, take me from there to when the you know, narcotics officers intervened. Yes, uh, Your Honor, I think the, the timeline in that point is a little bit a little bit fuzzy looking at the record and that's the reason I asked the question yes your honor and, and I that that feeds into the state's waiver argument again this wasn't an issue that was appropriately raised at the suppression hearing by counsel for the defendant that's part of the reason we have these these issues with the timeline here um, I believe what happened though is that so do we view those in the light most favorable to the defendant or do we give the benefit to the state your Honor, I'd say first that the state's position is that the argument's waived entirely. So if it's waived entirely, we don't even get to that question. Right. Uh, if it's not waived entirely and we, we're looking at the ruling that the, tr that the trial court made, uh, then we are taking that in the light most favorable to the state. So do you think that the defendant's statements were spontaneous? I do not believe that defendant was in custody when he was making those statements. That, I think no, that, that was not my question. Yes, Your Honor. Was the defendant here prompted by law enforcement officers with threats or perceived threats 
that if he did not say something that he was being detained as opposed to just you know volunteered on his own to make these disclosures yes your honor and I, I, the state has cited cases um, that say things like telling the defendant if he cooperates uh, is not the equivalent of being in custody uh, that that's going to help him that's not the equivalent of being in custody telling the defendant that you're going to speak with the district attorney about cooperation isn't doesn't mean that he's in custody telling the defendant that you're going to execute a search warrant if he doesn't cooperate doesn't mean the defendant's in custody. So it has to go above and beyond what we have uh, on the facts in this case. So you're saying that State versus Washington is an opposite to yes, the facts Your Honor. here? Yes, Your Honor. And we'd, we've got some cases that we'd cite. I think we've cited the State v. Ware case. Uh, in that case, the defendant was actually taken to the police station uh, he was kept there for about five hours in a secure floor of the building. He didn't have shoes for a period of time there, and the court still found that on the totality of the circumstances, the facts didn't rise to the level of that defendant being in custody such that Miranda warnings were required. And I believe we've also um, cited the case of State v. Troll, that it's uh, T-R-U-L-L, that has um, some similar case law in support of the state. I would like to go back and say, too, that um, in terms of the standard for whether the defendant is in custody here, uh, which I heard Your Honor ask about, the standard under the Fifth Amendment for Miranda is not the same standard as the free to leave standard uh, of the Fourth Amendment. So the standard of the, under the Fifth Amendment, and the, the, this is in the Supreme, North Carolina Supreme Court case of Buchanan, um, that there the court says that the, excuse me, the, the standard under Miranda is whether there's a formal arrest or the equivalent of a formal arrest. And the court, uh, the Supreme Court in Buchanan says that those two standards are quote, not synonymous, and also says that the formal test uh, the formal arrest test is more stringent, quote, requiring, or it says required, but requiring circumstances, it, circumstances which go beyond those supporting a finding of temporary seizure and create an objectively reasonable belief that one is actually or ostensibly in custody. So, and again, to address some of the points uh, that came up uh, in, in the argument already, for this reason, our officers aren't required to provide Miranda warnings during routine traffic stops. Uh, since the circumstances there do not rise to the level of custodial interrogation. Um, but state does recognize there comes a point where there can become a point where someone is not free to leave and they are being detained, at which point that warnings would be required. Do you agree with that? Yes, Your Honor. And I guess where that line falls is where we are in this case, right? If it falls at all. That's correct, Your Honor. Again, state is arguing waiver in the first instance, but... If, yes, reaching the merits, it would be a question under the totality of the circumstances where to draw that line. If I might go back and talk a little bit about the evidence that the officers had supporting the stop and supporting the, the detention here, um, the, supporting the questioning following the stop, because uh, officers who have probable calls have, are, are authorized to ask investigators investigatory questions, and that does not require Miranda warnings in, in the normal case. So here in the present case, the officers had the information from the confidential informant uh, that defendant was dealing heroin. The officers, that confidential informant uh, provided details about who the, who, the, who the defendant was, who he was with, where these transactions were taking place, the time of day they were taking place, what kind of vehicle the defendant was using. The defendant, uh, excuse me, the officers then confirm uh, this information from the confidential informant through over 40 hours of surveillance of the defendant, during which they witness the defendant engaging in what appear to be drug transactions. And again, all this takes place before the night of the stop that's in question in this case. But based on, on that information right there, they already have reasonable suspicion and, and, and probable cause the state would contend of defendant's illegal drug activity. And then on the night in question, again, they observed defendant engage in what appears to be a drug transaction in the Dollar General parking lot. 
two, another car comes into the parking lot, man gets out, gets into the defendant's vehicle, they're together a short time, they see some movement in the car, uh, that man gets back out and gets into his car, both cars leave, nobody ever goes into the Dollar General parking lot, and that's in the, at the point uh, at which they follow defendant and then have the traffic stop immediately thereafter. The um, defendant makes an uh, argument concerning the timing of the consensual search of the car and no drugs being found. At that point, would you agree that there would not be probable cause to further the search and in the absence of the defendant's statements, he would have been free to leave at that point. Your Honor, I believe the officers have a reasonable period of time to do an investigation to related to the probable cause that they have. Okay, Thank so you. so they they asked to search the car, they searched the car, they searched the occupants of the car, and there's no drugs found. Yes, I don't know that no drugs being found in the, uh, the state would not, um, the, the state believes that, again, they've got a reasonable time to conduct their investigation. So if they do want to continue to ask questions at that point, they have that probable cause. They've seen not only the drug transaction on that night, but um, on prior occasions, they're allowed to ask invest, investigatory questions of the defendant. So going back to my Colombo example, I mean, they've stopped him. They've given him a warning ticket, right? The traffic stop is over. Do you agree with that? Yes, Your Honor. Um, they come in, they ask for search the car. He consents, right? Yes, Your Honor. They search the car, they search the occupants of the car, and no drugs are found. So at what point are they allowed to continue in light of both of those circumstances to detain defendant and to continue questioning him without giving him warnings? From that point on. Yes, and I, I think uh, when we're looking at the, the, the Miranda question of whether he's in custody requiring Miranda warnings, the period of time here is not unreasonable. Uh, the, the state has cited cases in its brief, uh, again, that state be wearing so, case. Again, the time that the, that the Terry stop was over, again, is a different standard of the Fourth Amendment than the duty of the officers to give him warnings under the Fifth Amendment. Correct? Yes, Your Honor. Yes, That's Your Honor. your position. Yes, Your Honor. And the State v. Waring case says five hours isn't too long to have somebody even um, under questioning. Uh, doesn't That doesn't convert it into custody. The Troll case, I believe, says two hours doesn't convert it into, into a custodial interrogation. So here, you know, we're looking at about 40 minutes total. I think the defendant actually admitted to having the heroin about 30 minutes into the transaction, best I can tell from the record. So after, after he got his warning ticket and after the traffic stop was over and after he'd given consent to search the vehicle and search his own person and no drugs were found, at that point, if the defendant says, okay, guys, I've had enough, I'm gone. At that point, would, would, would there be a duty for them to give warnings at that point to continue it further? No, Your Honor, I believe that they have the, the reasonable amount of time to finish the investigation related to the probable cause that they have. Again, seeing a drug transaction, knowing that defendant has been observed dealing drugs, I think they still, I don't know that there's an absolute cutoff there. I think they still have a reasonable time to ask a few questions if, if, if they are supported by the probable cause that they have. And I believe they had that here, again, under the totality of the circumstances. Well, now you cite Warren and Truel both in your brief to um, kind of the, or as the outer edges. Would you agree that both of those cases are kind of the outer edge where warnings are not required? I would agree that the Waring case in particular is, is probably the outer edge, yes, Your Honor. And how do the facts of that case align with this one? Are we going to use the outlier as a standard? Do we keep moving that post further out? No, Your Honor, I think this case is well, well, um, the facts here are much less in favor of the defendant than the facts in Waring were. Again, in, in that Waring case, he's at the police building. He's on a secure floor. He's got his shoes missing for, for part of the time. He's not, certainly not free to leave, is he? He's, he? I believe the court found he was because he wasn't, you know, he hadn't been specifically told he wasn't free to leave and he wasn't 
he there wasn't a lock on the door uh, in the room that he was in. Well, now uh, wait a minute. If, if I'm mistaken, oh, I'm sorry. Not not free to leave. I apologize, Your Honor. I'm switching the standard there. Wasn't in a custodial interrogation. So he's on a secure floor in handcuffs. He asked for an attorney. That's denied, and he's in handcuffs with no shoes, and he's and and Miranda warnings are not required. Yes, Your Honor. And here, well, you know, I think we're nowhere near that level. Again, uh, a lot of the focus of Miranda is on the coercive uh, nature of actually being at, at the police station in police custody. And one of the, one of the cases that we cite uh, in our brief from the Supreme Court, um, one of the Supreme Court cases says in, in particular that where, where the, def um, it talks about, it's actually talking, excuse me, it's the Berkemer case, I believe, B-E-R-K-H-E-M-E-R, -E -E and, and that's actually, it's quoted in another case that we cite in our brief. But that case, the Supreme Court's talking, uh, says where they apply Miranda, where they're looking to apply the Miranda most is in where they're in police custody because the course of pressure there is much greater than in a traffic stop where they say you're out in the public, people can, you know, the public can see what's happening. Again, in this case, unlike in the Waring case, the defendant's out in the public, he's in a parking lot, he's not been sequestered off where nobody can see what's happening. So the threat of coercion in this case, which is what uh, Miranda is actually, you know, Miranda's a prophylactic rule. Miranda is not itself the Constitution. Uh, violation of Miranda is not a constitutional violation. So the, um, but what it's designed to do is to prevent coercion. Coercion and the, and the concern that the court, uh, the Supreme Court in particular has is that that coercion is going to take place in a police station where you're locked away and you know nobody knows exactly what's happening. Th those concerns are much less in this case. Fourth Amendment arrest is not the same as Fifth Amendment custody. Yes, Your Honor. I'm sorry, Your Honor. An arrest, a formal arrest, would trigger the Fifth Amendment. The question is whether, but equivalent of a formal arrest is under the Fifth Amendment, and Miranda is not the same as being detained for purposes or seized for purposes of the Fourth Amendment. Right. So you're saying that reasonable suspicion is different, that standard there, but probable cause, that's the same as custody under the Fifth Amendment, or different? It's a, the, I think it's the same. Is it a different analysis? Yes. Yes, Your Honor. Yes. The free-to-leave standard is a different analysis from the formal arrest standard. If I could talk about the waiver issue a little bit more. Again, it's the state's position, this argument was not waived by the defendant or by, or excuse me, was not raised by the defendant or by defendant's counsel at the motion to suppress. And as I'm sure Your Honors know, Appellate Rule 10A1 states that to preserve the issue, the party must have presented to the trial court a timely request stating the specific grounds for the ruling the party desired. And then it says, it is also necessary for the complaining party to obtain a ruling upon the party's request, objection, or motion. The defendant in this case did neither for any of these Miranda issues that we're talking about on appeal. There was no Miranda argument made to the trial court at the motion to suppress, and the defendant did not obtain a ruling from the trial court on this issue. In the motion to suppress itself, defendant states that he is moving to suppress under, quote, Article I, Section 20 of the Constitution of the State of North Carolina, and under the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. As we've been discussing, Miranda is not a Fourth Amendment doctrine, it's a Fifth Amendment doctrine. And there's no mention of the Fifth Amendment or moving to suppress on the basis of Miranda in that part of the motion. Then we go to the hearing on the motion to suppress. And at the hearing on the motion to suppress, the defendant's argument to the court, which I know the court has reviewed, but which is on pages 88 and 89 of the suppression hearing transcript. It's the entirety of defense counsel's argument to the court on the motion to suppress. And that argument says absolutely nothing about Miranda. Miranda isn't mentioned at all. The only case cited is the Rodriguez case, which again is about the Fourth Amendment and detention under the Fourth Amendment, or excuse me, prolonging a stop under the Fourth Amendment. And the defendant's counsel's, the crux of his argument is, quote, it's clear that the stop in this case clearly exceeded the reasonable amount of time to write a warning ticket, end quote. That's the entire thrust of the argument, and that is clearly a Rodriguez issue. 
Now, the, the trial judge on the order uh, denying the motion to suppress, I'm on page 15 of the record. Yes, Your Honor. Um, judge Bray said defendants have argued the stop was extended too long in violation of Rodriguez. She goes on to explain that the stop was not an isolated traffic stop. In fact, she finds, quote, the traffic stop was a ruse, R-U-S-E, designed to protect the integrity of the drug investigation. So is a traffic, I mean, are, are officers free to pull people over on a ruse disguised as a traffic stop? They are, Your Honor, if they have the also, well, if they also have the probable cause that's going to support that. And that's from the confidential stop. informant, correct? That's from the confidential informant. That's from confirming the test, the, the confidential informant's information through surveillance. And that's from witnessing the drug transaction on the night in question. They also did have reasonable suspicion to do the stop, actually probable cause, because the officer witnessed traffic violations. So that gives him probable cause to, to make the stop. And, and I believe- Notwithstanding what the trial judge said, it was a ruse. Your Honor, I, I don't believe this is raised by the defendant on, this issue is raised by the defendant on, on the appeal, but to, to respond to your question, um, I don't believe subjective intent of the officer uh, is, uh, is part of the inquiry here. It's whether they're what, based on the objective facts, again, witness, he, the officer witnessed traffic violations, that creates probable cause to, to make the stop in the first place. So, the way the trial judge framed it was, it appears from the order. I'm looking at the order, yes, which Your Honor. is what's on appeal. Yes, Your Honor. It appears that the trial judge viewed this as a continuous transaction based upon the receipt of the information from the confidential informant. Would you agree with that? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, so she is validating what happened here on the basis of they received confidential information and they were acting upon that, correct? Yes, in, in conjunction, I think, with their, the observations that they made to support that. Those. So I go back to the point that the stop has been made, the search has been made, it shielded nothing at that point. And I, I've, I've heard the argument about not being free to leave is different than being in custody. But at what point you're saying that they that everything that happened from that point on, that no drugs were found in the defendant's car, that everything from that point on was voluntary disclosures by the defendant? Your Honor, we the state is of the of the position that the probable cause that the, that the officers had continued to support asking questions. There's not a bright line cutoff. They have a reasonable amount of time, and that time had not expired prior to the time when they find the, when they, when the pass, the drugs appear on the passenger, which again is within just, it's not very long after that point of time. It's, you know, it seems like it's 10 minutes at the most. And then from that point again, now they've got prop, now they've, now they've kind of re, you know, they've got more probable calls right there. Okay. I, I keep, I don't, I don't want to repeat, but you, you've got a consented to search of a vehicle that yields nothing. You've got a consented to, or at least a search of the individuals in the car, right? That yields nothing. So at that point, if, if the basis for the seizure or the search is completed, I'm trying to get a timeline at that point. Do you feel if the, if the defendant had said, okay, I'm done, I'm leaving, and they, they would have said no, would that have triggered a duty to give warnings at that point? I don't think that would have triggered a, a duty to give warnings because, again, whether he's under in the functional equivalent of arrest is a separate separate issue from whether he's free to leave. Whether that creates a Rodriguez issue, I, I don't believe that's how the defendant has argued the Rodriguez issue. So I don't I don't know that 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 moment in time as a Rodriguez issue is before this court. I, I think the defendant's been arguing it as a Miranda issue, but Rodriguez was argued before the trial court, and the basis of the trial court's suppression order is based on Rodriguez. You do agree with that? I do agree with that, Your Honor. And it's, it's the denial of the motion to suppress that is before this court. 
Yes, Your Honor. So the argument that would have been made before the trial court on Rodriguez is a preserved argument. Yes, I, I agree with that. Um, it, it, when I read the trial, the argument of the trial court, yeah, yes, Your Honor, I, I do agree with that. You know, if I might talk about the issue of coercion, um, there there is some overlap between that and the the custody standard under the Fifth Amendment, as it was um, as was discussed in in the argument already before this court. Uh, but the coercion standard is a higher bar than the standard of, of being in custody. Uh, in this case, the defendant admitted to possessing the, the heroin at his house after the heroin was discovered on the passenger in defendant's vehicle and after the passenger had said that he'd gotten it from the defendant. So it's at this point, that's the transcript, page 25, and it's at this point that the defendant agrees to cooperate. And so that sequence of events shows that the defendant's decision to cooperate wasn't, wasn't coerced, but it was a conscious decision to help himself by working off his charges. And again, and the, yes, uh, the state has cited cases uh, on the coercion issue. Um, again, they seem to, it's a higher bar than just being in custody. Um, the Bartlett case has the defendant handcuffed and asked whether he had anything in his underwear without being given Miranda warnings. He says, yes, narcotics are found. Uh, the court finds that there's no coercion that would require suppression of that evidence. So, um, so uh, again, there's, uh, there's not, this defendant hasn't met the bar to show coercion in this case. And for that reason, even if there was an issue with the warnings, the, the physical evidence, the heroin in the safe at the home should still come in, should, would, uh, was still appropriately admitted at trial. And just to clarify for me, um, both convictions were based on the heroin found at the home, correct? Not anything based on anything found in the car? Yes, that is my understanding of the record, Your Honor. Or on the passenger? That is my understanding, yes, Your Honor. The passenger was a co-defendant? The passenger was the the passenger with the, um, the with the heroin in the back seat was not a co-defendant. It was uh, defendant's girlfriend who was in the front seat. Was the passenger charged? Do you know? Uh, I do not know if the rear seat passenger was charged. But that's it was on that person where the heroin was found, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah, on that night, yes, Your Honor. But before they went to the house and defendant showed them the heroin in his safe. If the court doesn't have any further questions, I'd be, I will rest for the state at this point. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, sir. Ms. Strickland? Yes, thank you. Uh, just a few brief points. First, I just want to make very clear that, in fact, we did raise the Rodriguez argument in our brief. It's at pages 28 through 31, and we did discuss exactly the point Your Honor made about the fact that once they searched him and they found nothing on his person or in his vehicle, the stop should have ended at that point. That's what Rodriguez says, is they cannot, they cannot continue the stop once they have dispelled the, the traffic Part of this was over, the ticket was written, they searched him, they found nothing. The stop should have ended at that point. What's the obligation of law enforcement? Are they supposed to say, all right, you must leave now? Or are they just, can they sit there and continue to voluntarily talk to them until if they think on their own, hey, I, I should probably leave now? Like, what are we looking for? Uh, Your Honor, I think that depends on the underlying question of whether there is a continued detention or not. Uh, I think in this case, this is not, again, this is not an ordinary Terry stop, reasonable suspicion territory. What happened next, I think, really informs the answer to your question, because not only did they not allow him to leave or continue to question him, which I would argue in and of itself that would be a violation of Rodriguez for them to continue to question him, but they actually went in and they put him in handcuffs and said, you can't leave here, you guys are playing games, we're going to find drugs before we leave here, all of these questions. So they didn't just continue to ask questions, they actually escalated the encounter and the custodial nature of the encounter and the, uh, deten the investigative detention. Do you agree that the um, 
free-to-leave standard under the Fourth Amendment is different than the custodial standard under the Fifth Amendment? I think in the abstract, yes, particularly when you're talking about a Terry stop in reasonable suspicion. Is, that, is there a higher burden on the defendant to show custody than to show not being free to leave? There, there is, yes. Uh, it, but again, I, I think we have shown custody here, and uh, I think that the trial court was operating under this assumption that this was just a traffic stop, and so reasonable suspicion was all that was required. And Going back to Judge Starting's question, um, once, the, the, once the search was over at the vehicle and nothing was found in the car on your client, um, if, if he chose to stay there and and started answering questions, isn't that burden on him and not the officers from that point on? Well, Your Honor, I think on that I guess, fact, let me ask another yes. way. What duty does an individual have to assert their own rights? I think on that set of facts, it may be a closer question, but I think that the as long as the stop continued, my reading of Rodriguez is that that's a violation. So even, for example, if the stop had ended and the officers thereafter obtained consent to search the vehicle, that consent would be in violation of Rodriguez. So it would also be invalid. So I think the question of consent has to arise within the purpose of what the stop was and when the purpose of the stop concluded. The trial court found that the traffic stop was a ruse. It yeah. says it in the order itself. But the validated and denied the motion suppressed based upon an ongoing investigation based on probable cause. That's what the trial court's order says. So free to leave, not free to leave on the Fourth Amendment, if there's probable cause on the Fifth Amendment, then the trial, tell me why this error in the trial court's order for saying the traffic stop's really immaterial here. Right. Well, I think what the trial court found was that there was reasonable suspicion, which, again, is that's a much lower standard than probable cause. And so I think that that's not right. But I think at the end of the day, when you're talking about primary versus secondary, is it okay if I... Please, please continue. Primary versus secondary purposes of the stop, I, I agree. The actual traffic stop in and of itself being a ruse, it, maybe a, if the reasonable suspicion or probable cause continued, that would be one thing. But I think here we have a set of facts where he actually did consent to a search and they found nothing. So at that point, even if you assume the secondary purpose is to investigate this drug activity, that purpose concluded at that time. And if you all, and was your client at that point said, okay, I'm done, you stopped, I'm gone, you searched, you found nothing, I'm leaving. Right. He sh I'm sorry. Isn't that he, what he should have done? That he should have been free to leave, but you have to remember he was completely blocked in by the officer's car at this point and surrounded by narcotics agents. So even if he had said, I would like to leave, he was not free to leave. So, that, I mean, again, I just think the facts are really inform the inquiry about when this stop ended, which it, it never did. One last question. They, they cite Warren, Warren uh, and Truel in their brief, yes. which states admitted are pretty, pretty much outlier cases. Five hours in a secure facility, handcuffs, no, sh no shoes, and the court has said that's not custody. Yes, I still think those cases are quite distinguishable because in Wearing, for example, I believe the defendant was actually specifically told he was not arrested. He was not under arrest. This was a defendant who had a lot of familiarity with the criminal justice system, and they essentially told him, you're being detained until another officer gets here. And then when the officer got here, they said, you're not under arrest, but will you come with us to the police station to answer questions? And so the court concluded that voluntary. he did so voluntarily. Truel, the defendant signed a written statement saying that he was voluntarily cooperating with the state. There's nothing like that in this case. Um, the cases they cited regarding 
coercion in Cummings, the defendant was advised of his Miranda rights, and in Jordan, he was informed of his right to refuse a search and signed a voluntary consent form. So we just think those cases are just not, they're just entirely distinguishable from. And so what relief would you ask for the court from the court? Um, so what we would ask is that the reversal of the, I'm sorry, that the motion to suppress being denied be reversed. My understanding is that you would have um, a new trial in this circumstance, but obviously if the, at a minimum, the statement should be suppressed, the evidence should also be suppressed because it was involuntary. That leaves basically nothing for them to proceed against my client, but that's not up to you all to. <laughs> that would, that we would ask for a remand for further proceedings following reversal of the denial of the motion to suppress. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll give you all a minute to um, pack your things, and we'll just stand at ease um, while the next council comes in. We appreciate the good arguments. Thank you.